Welcome back to The Rewind. This is Keenan. And I'm Jonah. Oh my god. So, we are here today with a fan favorite. We're going to be talking about Hush from season four, written and directed by Joss Whedon. Jonah, are you excited about this? I am so excited about this one. This was such a great episode, but it was also critically acclaimed. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it aired. So, it's like... It's like a big fan favorite, and I'm excited to for us to watch it together and chat about it. Yes, yes. So, um, some things have happened since since we left the crew on uh, what her like first week of class, basically. You remember that awful roommate we talked about? Yeah, she was a demon. She's mm. trying to steal Buffy's soul. The worst. The worst. Absolute worst. So. Then uh, Spike comes back for a magical gym that will make him impervious. Sidebar, he's dating Harmony. <laughs> Which I have never liked Harmony <laughs> until this, until this story arc, like with her and Spike as a vampire. Like, mm-hmm. I, I never cared for her before, but then when they brought her back as a vampire, I was like, oh, okay, yes, I'm here for this. And then later as her, yeah. like, character develops a smidge more, and then we see her on Angel later, I was like, oh, I really came to love her so much. You know, I mean, she had, she, I mean, Harmony had no layers as a human, you know? There was nothing about her. She was just the best friend of the popular girl. And that was, that was all they gave her. You know, she came up with a dumb line every now and then. People gave her a look, and then that was it. I, you know, yeah, I can say I felt the same way about Harmony. Uh, anyways, after a truly spectacular fight sequence, Jonah, did you, you did you rewatch that one? I didn't rewatch all of the episodes, but that one I did rewatch. Yes. That was, the fight was so good. and it, it was so good. It hurt my feelings a little bit because he really kind of put the smackdown on her and she because she was blindsided because he's walking around in daylight. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, but they do the thing that they always do. And, and Spike should know by now, don't say something to piss her off. Mm-hmm. And he did. He said something to piss her off. Of course, he made an angel reference and she yeah. beat his ass like don't talk smack about the love of her life you're just asking to get your ass beat then i mean just don't make her mad (laughs) (sighs) so uh, then he he slips out away but the commandos scoop him up uh then that we are introduced to this female werewolf named veruca who uh sparks this kind of animal magnetism with eyes so she tried to snatch him up Mm. that was such such a emotional episode i'm still not fully recovered from that episode because as we're going into as we're continuing into season four i've been watching the episodes between that and now it just is still so fresh i'm like oh that was a rough one oh oh my gosh so um willow is about to delve into some really black magic to curse her and make them not have feelings for each other she couldn't do it veruca 
was turning into a werewolf, ready to eat her. Oz comes out of nowhere. I think Oz eats her, or at least like bites her jaw out, or you know, like he does the the thing that hounds do. I guess I don't. Yeah, he ripped out her throat or something. There you go. That sounds that sounds right. <laughs> I it was fucking violent. That was that. And afterwards, Oz leaves town and he is gone because Seth Green was going to go pursue his movie career. Yeah, and up until up until now in the show, like Willow is very much still mourning the loss of Oz, and she mm-hmm. like she was in denial for a while. You kind of see her go through those typical stages of grief, like she was in denial for a while, thinking he would come back, but then he doesn't, and she she's just heartbroken. She tried to cast a spell. We, to, we get to it, right. Oh, yeah, you do have that. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of us. Getting so Shut far her. ahead. God, Jonah. Uh, <laughs> we find out Riley and his commando, his friends are the commandos, all those hot, hot men. Uh, I do have to say, Graham was fine and should have gotten way more screen time. The shorter of the three. The was, one with was... the sick-ass jawline. Yes. yes. I was you like... Notice a jawline from a mile away, and you know I noticed his. Every time I saw him, I was like, is he related to one of the Lachey brothers? Yes. Uh, um, anyway, yeah. So they're all the, the commandos that have been creeping around campus uh, called the Initiative. Angel comes back for an episode uh, to help them fight an indigenous vengeance spirit, and I have feelings about that episode, and I probably really need to rewatch it because <laughs> right now I'm just like, no. It was, that whole episode made me super nervous. <laughs> As I was watching it, I was just very anxious. I was like, I was like, uh. <laughs> like I remember, <laughs> I, I do remember Willow just being like, no, I do not want to celebrate Thanksgiving with you people. Uh-huh. Like, this is ridiculous. Right. And they did make a point in that episode to say, um, because one of the characters, you know, tried to refer to them by what we as a society had always referred to them. Uh, but then they were corrected and said, we don't call them that. They, uh, the correct term is uh, Native Americans. And I thought, I was like, well, at least they gave us that. Ugh. <laughs> uh. But I'm like, is, even, is that even right anymore? I don't know. I'm sure. I think native is 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 a proper term. So then we find out that just like Willow is completely heartbroken. And she decides that she wants to cast a spell to have her will done because she doesn't want to feel that kind of pain anymore. And in the process, she turns Xander into a, a like a literal magnet, a demon magnet. Like they're just coming out of the woodwork, attacking him throughout the episode. She makes Giles go blind and she makes Buffy and Spike fall in love and they are about to get married. And it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> all the, oh, and, and she not realizing it turns Amy into a human <laughs> for just a moment. <laughs> When I was watching that the other day, I almost like took a like or recorded that scene and sent it to you because I'm like, oh, don't you wish you would have just stopped like at that and didn't finish that sentence? Because if she had just stopped and if Amy would have just said something and Willow had known she was a human again, then she would have like, but you know, it wasn't. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. 
I just love, you know, I keep talking about how I think those little Amy pop-ups are hilarious. But in the in the process of the things that she's done, she caused so much pain to the people that she loved that my favorite demon, Zahafran, took interest in her and wanted to elevate her to a vengeance demon. She declined, and it was a very funny moment. He was like, well, if you change your mind, give us a chance. <laughs> it was very funny to me. I, 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 it was oh, such a I little dry. I, it was a dry joke that I found very funny. I do love that, and I, and let me tell you, I would have been here for that spinoff of Willow as a vengeance demon. Mm. <laughs> that would have been a fun one. That could be like an alternate world. See if they did like Elseworlds Buffyverse kind of shit. Yes, give me that vengeance demon Willow story. So. After all of this has happened, we come to this point. We are now at Hush. Yes. And so in this episode, we find an out of, like, basically out of a fairy tale. And I'm going to read you what the box, the DVD box has, because that's just I, just, I just like some of their descriptions. And so here it says, from out of a fairy tale comes a group of murderous creatures known as the Gentlemen. First, they steal everyone's voices. Then they begin to collect human hearts. And I'm like, that's a perfect description of them. You don't need anything else. You just need to know that's what this episode yes. is all about, pretty much. Yes. I have so many questions about the gentlemen. I feel like they there's so much more to the story that I want to know. I want to read the fairy tale. Like, I want them to create. The, this is not a real fairy tale, people. Like, it's from, like, Joss's Nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what have you been smoking, Joss? But I want them to write that fairy tale, and I want to know, like, why the... I, I just have questions. I have questions. You ready to get into this, Jonah? I am so ready. Okay. One, two, three. All righty, everybody. We're opening in class. Professor Maggie Walsh is talking. We see a very gorgeous Riley standing in the shadows of the corner and Buffy glances over. And it's important to note that they open in this scene with the professor talking about language and communication ironically. So they're yeah. already setting this this episode theme up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she calls Buffy to the front for what is that that outfit? She calls Buffy. I up know, to- I love that <laughs> outfit. I was just gonna say love it. So they're they're going to do a little experiment, and the professor's going to have Buffy lay on the table, the desk, her desk. And when I first saw this, like, when it first aired, I was like, this feels not okay. <laughs> right, right. It's like, uh, what? <laughs> oh, look at Maggie. And then the professor's like, be a good boy. The professor Wall says, be a good boy to Riley when she calls him over yeah. to do uh, interact in this demonstration. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And so he looks, so Riley's, like, laying over Buffy, like, caressing the small of her back. And he said, don't worry, if I kiss you, it'll make the sun go down. <sighs> um, I mean. When, <laughs> I and mean, then they kiss. It's a very good kiss, and, too. Because they have really good chemistry. And this is their first on-screen kiss. This mm-hmm. comes, a couple of, which I forgot to say earlier, this comes after we find out that Riley does have feelings for Buffy. So they are, their relationship is building right now. And yeah. 
some truths are about to come out in this episode. And she says, fortune favors the brave. She hears something in the hallway, and she's like, do you hear that? And she walks down to a suddenly very dark hallway. Mind you, the sun did go down, so it is night now. Mm, good point. Good enough. And, and she comes around the corner, and there's this creepy, this creepy blonde girl singing a song, a la Freddy Krueger, one, two, Freddy's coming for you, but for oh. the gentleman. You're going to die of screaming, but you won't be heard, is the line. And then she wakes up. Well, she's, they actually show the gentleman, one of the gentlemen in the dream. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up in class. Also, I wonder, is that little girl supposed to be baby Buffy? I think, you know, I always felt that way. It's like, maybe it's little Buffy. Like, this is part of her, like, vision. Because we, clearly this was a vision. Because it was supposed to be a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And they're, now they're walking out of class, having a little post-chat with Riley and Willow's making an excuse to now she's going to her Wicca group and they're walking together I love seeing these shots on campus uh it just really reminds me of college and makes me miss it a little bit I really did enjoy college what about you Keenan? I didn't truly care for it I had oh. some great <laughs> moments I had some great moments but you know I had some I made some, I met some really good people Maybe I just didn't like the class parts of it. So now they're doing that, like, awkward, like, flirty thing where they're, like, going, leaning a little bit. He leans in to kiss her a little bit, and then she asks him papers. What what papers were you talking about grading? Because he had gave, he basically lied to her and said that he was grading papers or or something. But he's really planning to do something with the the initiative. initiative. Which is, he? so he caught her stumble because she said, when he asked her what she was doing, she said patrolling. And then she goes, patrolling. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> nice then, save, Buffy. <laughs> here she is, fortune favors the brain. Which is like a call to some coat of arms. I really didn't dig too far into the history of that phrase. I wondered what that was from. I didn't, I wasn't familiar. There are like three different versions of it, but Joss got it from like this Grateful Dead artist that had it on stuff. So I don't think he did too much research into it either. He just liked it, probably. I, can I just say that I love... Okay, so like, I think I said in one of the previous episodes that in season three, the opening credits got really good because like, they had all the good stuff to pull from. And then like in season four, they're adding some things to like some of the season four stuff. And like the opening credits for the show just get better, better every Better and better, season. yes. Absolutely. Ugh, I love it so much. So now we are opening back at Giles' place. He's on the phone. And then when he gets off the phone, I'm getting a little bit ahead. But um, you can tell he's on the phone with Buffy. Yeah, she's going over everything. And he even says it could be one of your prophetic dreams. But I love how they show Spike. And because Giles casually asked him, have you heard of a group called The Gentleman? And Spike is in the background just roaming around the kitchen and he's eating and he's like, we're out of Weetabix. I (laughs) completely neglected to say that when Spike got caught by the commandos, they put a chip in his head so he can't hurt humans. And at this point, the commandos are interfering with the Scooby business. So they are protecting Gile, uh, protecting Spike from them because they're trying to figure out who these people are. 
and why. And I love, I love how Giles and Spike are just like roommates now. <laughs> yes. And this is the episode when Spike goes to live with Xander in, in his oh, basement. Yeah. Emma Caulfield, what is this outfit? She has on this kind of like blue sweater, but it's open in the back and tied at the neck. And that's it. So the back is essentially exposed. She also has that very classic early 2000s haircut, too. That haircut. I actually love this. Was This was one of my favorite Anya hairstyles. So it's important to say here that Anya and Xander are dating at this point, And she feels that, I, I just feel, I think at this point she's like, I don't, think you care for me like you should. And, you know, Anya's been a vintage demon for centuries, so she's... She might uh, know a few things. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely not up for any shit, and she's going to call it out as it happens. Which is a very Anya like, personality trait anyway. <laughs> yeah. And let's also not mention that she, she and Spike together are the Cordelia replacements. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, now we cut over to the Wicked group, and <laughs> and Willow's just like, I don't, I don't think any of these people have done any real magic. And so they're talking about a bake sale, <laughs> and one of them goes, you know, I make a really empowering lemon bun, and I'm like, ugh, I hate these girls. I hate all of them. <laughs> Did I tell you that I I met a Wiccan once when I was in college and I interviewed her? No. It was fun. It's very interesting. I was very fascinated. Well, she was a so treat. I bet she was, especially if she was like, you know, actually. And really one of the sweetest spirits I had ever met up in of my course. life at that point. Of course. Like at this point in the show, like I had a lot of Wiccan friends in high school and I've been like studying about it myself so like watching these scenes I was very like oh my god what are these girls like I probably would have been okay if, with them just saying like magic group or witchcraft group and not Wiccan maybe it would have it I would have allowed yeah. my my disbelief to go a little bit more let's talk about the theme for our Bacchanal like so, so in that little group setting there, you know, you see like Willow kept looking over at Tara. This is the first episode we're introduced to Tara. I think it's really important to note that. And yes. and Tara goes to try to say something in the group, but then the girls kind of like teasingly like they mean girl her. on her. Yeah, they absolutely mean girl her. And then she like shies down and it's, it's painfully bashful even more so than willow yeah and willow noticed that and so tara caught her eye in that group and yeah i think they were probably on the same wavelength of thinking that group was sort of ridiculous yes because tara has actual magic as well we we come to learn i lo- willow refers to them as a bunch of wanna blessed bees and <laughs> the first time i heard this that that first time i heard that line it like a guy laughed so hard and she she there's this other line where she's like any girl with a spice rack thinks she's a sister to the dark ones <laughs> <laughs> i love it 
Oh, here so we are. So now we have sweaty G.I. Joe Riley and company. And um, fine-ass Forrest. Ugh. Which you've seen in so many things yeah, he over plays, the years. And he plays an asshole in it because he was the asshole in Drumline, if you've seen Drumline. <gasps> yes, yes. But He, he was oh, the antagonist God, character man. in that. Such a beautiful man. I'm sorry, Jonah. <laughs> Continue. Oh, no, I was just saying that he was an antagonist in Drumline, which is kind of funny to say, like, describing anyone in a Drumline as antagonist, but essentially, in terms of film speak, I guess that's <laughs> what he was. So there, uh, and now we've cut over to Xander's basement apartment, and he's, like, tied spiked down to a chair. To a recliner or whatever. Like, I, I'm like, why did he end up, like, tying him down? Because he, he roamed freely in Giles' apartment. Sander just didn't trust him. Yeah, he was like, and don't try to bite me. I'm a tasty treat or some shit like that. It was He's like, I'm moist funny. and delicious is what Xander <laughs> Yes! I'm like, no, not moist and delicious. Uh, what a triggering word. And moist. Back in Giles' apartment, he's researching hardcore and then gets a knock at the door. And who is it but our girl Olivia? She's back. Uh, she's so beautiful. Serving with that leather jacket. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's enough small talk, don't you think? I love her so much. Just gets right into it. They are yeah. so hot together. They are. <laughs> they are. I'm telling you, I definitely would, would have been down for a show with those two. So they cl- they leave that scene with him like okay well my girl is here like I'm I'm in I'm in my Olivia world and <laughs> I cannot be bothered with the gentleman. Meanwhile, at this old clock tower and some old footage of <laughs> of Sunnydale, I love those overshots. Like how old is that? You see the the gentleman place a box. It's the same box that the girl singing the the nursery rhyme in the gene sequence was holding mm-hmm. when they open the box you get these shots around sunnydale and then you see our main cast their voices or some kind of essence is is leaving like, them yeah their and voices like, are leaving like all of the townspeople's voices are being stolen in this scene and also okay what's this is town full of creepy ass clock towers I I thought you were going to say, because my high take on this is like, does everyone have their window open in Sunnydale? Oh my god! (laughs) It's like, haven't y'all ever heard of the Golden State Killer? (laughs) Or haven't y'all lived in Sunnydale where everyone dies? (laughs) Yeah, even more (laughs) important. Why are your windows always open? Uh, Um, You know the vampires can't get in without being invited, so I guess... True, (laughs) true. So I love this scene. Like, it's a really long scene, and you, you just have, like, Buffy going. It's, it's morning. Buffy's going through her routine. She kind of, like, stumbles out of bed. She has her stuff. She goes to the bathroom and brushes her teeth, and then she, like, wanders back. You know, like, you're not really talking in those first few moments of the day. You're just like, uh, you know, I'm just, like, moving around, processing. And girl walks by Buffy in the hallway, like, sniffling or crying, but she's not saying anything. Yes. I always like to think that at that point, she realized that her voice was gone and she was crying. She was frustrated and crying. Yeah, absolutely. So Buffy walks back into the room and Willow's waking up 
and Willow gets to say hello, and they're like, what's going on? And so she at this point, talk. that must be a horrifying feeling. Yes. Willow grabs her ears and is like, I've gone deaf. Willow has some really great comedic moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're try- both trying to talk, and they Buffy decides to open the door, and I, you see everyone in, the, in that hallway kind of roaming around trying to figure out what's going on. And he cut over to the basement and Xander's freaking out and he points at Spike and is like, you did this to me. And of course, mouthing all of this, but you can read clearly read their lips. Um, but it's <laughs> funny. And he grabs the phone. <laughs> and he calls Buffy. So they go to, she goes to answer the phone and they're all like, yeah. Uh, and then there's just silence because then they're like, oh, wait. I <laughs> never noticed. Despite <laughs> looking a, at Xander like he's an idiot. Yes. Oh, no, there's like a, a tattoo on Xander's shoulder. It looks like they tried to cover it up, but it is not covered up. Oh, I did it's not like, catch that. It's like some of the charmed tattoos. <laughs> That's funny. They did some really bad jobs. Just like some of the Rose McGowan ones. Oh. Huh. <laughs> it's not good. No, not Rose. I think at, by that point they were like, let just have your tattoos. Alyssa, uh, Alyssa Milano's tattoos. Mm. They did a not so great job of covering. Although say you're over at the initiative and Riley and Forrest are going into the elevator. And of course it's like security voice, voice thing. And they're t- now he's trying to <laughs> enter an override code and he can't remember it. Because after a certain point, if they don't speak to, so that the system can recognize their voice, something happens, like, bad things will... You see some consume. yellow gas pumping oh, in. yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts to them getting out of the elevator, <laughs> and Maggie Walsh points to a sign, and they pan over to the sign in case emergency, you stare away. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. And cut over to Tara. She's roaming around her dorm building and she's concerned. And it's, it's just a really interesting moment because they had to get all these extras to like be upset, like scared and, and freaked out about what's going on. Right. But, you know, Tara doesn't seem too shaken up about it. I I kind of maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I feel like. It's because she's already very comfortable in silence. Like, she's mm. already very comfortable with not saying a lot and being noticed and, and vocalizing things. And so this is normal for her. And so she's not as shaken up as other yes. people. I love that. Also, I love two things that we just, we have this thing of them walking around, like, downtown Sunnydale. Uh, we've already seen that the banks are closed, but the liquor stores are open. Um, and then you see a scene where these people are like, uh, preaching and the, and the, like reading the, the book of revelations on the street and then you pan across the street and you see a guy selling message boards for $10 and it's like religion and capitalism. $15, right? (laughs) I don't don't remember, but I'm like religion and capitalism all in one one row. 
But the funniest part is that you cut back into Giles's house and, and uh, Willow and Buffy walk in with message boards around their necks. Right, because at first, the last bit of that of that previous scene, they were kind of rolling their eyes at the thought of someone like hiking up prices of, for message boards. And then you cut over and see them entering Giles with a message board. It was, it was funny. I love how they instant, the town has instantly turned it into like an apocalyptic event where you have like the super religious out in the streets you know, reading their Bibles, and then you have people, like, hiking up the prices of, like, basic mm-hmm. essentials, or not even essential. In this case, I yeah. guess that it's essential, the message boards, but... Yeah. And now we're watching the news in uh, Giles's apartment. Uh, two things. There were a few episodes ago where they moved a bunch of books and saw that Giles had a TV, and everyone was very, like, fascinated by the idea of Giles having a television and being as shallow as everyone else. <laughs> and then second, that is an actual newscaster from like a local WB affiliate. Really? Yeah. Oh, so fun. anytime we've seen a, like a news broadcast on this show, it was from like a local affiliate. Cool. I I also love this scene where it's like Buffy shows um giles is signed when she says keep researching i should be in town tonight giles mouths why and it cuts over to the initiative where maggie has this like thing where she can type into the computer and it's reading out to everyone it goes with there will be chaos so it, it's like here here are two teams like having the same conversation and, and trying to figure out how they can best uh take care of the town and you cut over back into this uh, downtown Sunnydale. Like there's a car that's running to the the fire hydrant and water's just spraying up. And I'm like, what's that about? Like someone like, just like... <laughs> also forget how to drive when they lost their voice. Right. And then... Uh, Riley's uh, breaking Riley... out a fight in the street. And the guy tries to like grab a a rod or something and and hit riley from back and you see buffy walk up is that the iconic coat it looks familiar she uh she walks up to the guy like breaks his hand and makes him drop the stick or rod or whatever it was doesn't seem as shiny but i think that's the coat yeah this yeah looks a little dull maybe it's Maybe it's because it's just been through a lot. They just oh, they finally the shared their amazing first kiss. kiss. So what's so great about this, as as we realize that this episode is like about communication and how... Or um, lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. Well, and how it'll get ahead of you. Like language can often, you speaking can often mess up the message. Mm. Does that make sense? And like with them not being able to communicate, they're able to express how they feel about each other and they share this beautiful passionate kiss yeah so good i know when i try to communicate things i can be my own worst enemy oh same i am the king of foot and mouth oh so now the 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 gentlemen are floating about the town they're on these like rigs that were removed frame by frame well, I when I was researching this episode, I read that they were actually on wires. There's like rigged up wi- like rigs and wires that were removed and then like the two in the back were on some kind of like 
rolling dolly system. Mm. Oh, this is an especially creepy scene. Olivia wakes up in Giles' apartment. They're asleep. She wakes up. She goes downstairs. And at first, when I first saw this, I was like, oh my God, is one going to be in the house? <laughs> and she runs into it. Like, please don't take Olivia out. We like her. Yes. Oh my God. They've had her around just long enough for us to, like, kind of have feelings for her. Like, uh, we like her. And it's like, oh, no. She don't goes to the window. She looks out. And there's one of the gentlemen in the background. And in the foreground, one comes creeping by. Oh, scares the hell out of her and me. <laughs> yes. Oh, their movement. Their movement in this episode is just as eerie as they are themselves. Like, their appearance. Yes. Yes. Joss, Joss said he was like, I'm thinking like Nosferatu with those hands. And that's what they gave him. Ugh, this is so weird. So they're like... So they're in the dorm. The gentlemen are in the dorm now. Creeping down the hallways, floating in the hallways. Oh my god, what's the door number? Those little things in the background, they are the worst. They're just like flailing around. Down. They're like henchmen. they're like the gentlemen's cheerleaders or something. <laughs> well, they're like they're henchmen in these in these straight jackets that are undone, so they're just like, ugh, so weird, <laughs> so weird. So here's one of my questions about like, how did they choose? Like it's something that I don't think we ever get because they're roaming around town. How did they choose those specific people? Because we don't see them just, like, knocking on doors until someone answers. Right. That's a good question. And they grab this one guy. They open, they knock on the door to his dorm room. He opens it. Can you imagine opening your door and that's what you're seeing? Like, the creepy, like, Voldemort-looking, like, (laughs) creatures just grinning back at you? Yes, like this metal-toothed grin that's affixed to their face. Ugh. And their eyes are kind of like glassy and they have these like their skin is gray with these bony hands and they reach into a medical bag and pull out a fucking scalpel while their creepy henchmen are holding you down and they're just smiling. (laughs) The silver teeth. Oh, there's so much about these characters that like make them some of the scariest in the Buffy verse. Ugh. And then you see one, like, kneel over and his hand moving, and then they just flash to black, and then you come back. I think that was probably, like, an original commercial break. And you come back, and you see one sit down a jar with a heart of heart inside next to two other jars, because, remember, they need to collect seven. The ones with the wider smiles remind me... Did you ever see the Super Mario Brothers movie... With, like, John Leguizamo as Luigi. Yes, yes. They look like the Goombas. Remember, like, the really tall things? Uh, it's been so long since I've seen that. I I don't think I remember. You'll have to Google it. So, we... There's... The police are at the guy's door. We see Buffy kind of, like, slip in and uh, see his body. I love how they wander into the crime scene. She wanders into the crime scene, like, no big deal. Like, where are the police? He was he was like blocking people and on the other side in. and she came in from behind him and slipped in and we cut over to Giles and Olivia sketching one of the the gentlemen. I'm like, oh she has this convenient art skill. 
we just continue to see why Olivia is great. And Giles pulls out a book that says fairy tales. And we cut over to a lecture hall. Because I love now he can just like go into a lecture hall at a college <laughs> and give a small presentation. And he has his own music narrating this. And I'm sorry I did not look it up. Um, when I watched the commentary, Joss Whedon said he thinks it was Cezanne, but he wasn't sure. It is... Um, uh, I just looked that up the other day. It's actually from a, a, a show... like a, It's the theme song of a show that Joss did before Buffy. Okay. Where it was also based on like... Like, it was crimes that were committed that looked as if they sh- they could have been supernatural, but then but then they were sol- they were solved to show that they weren't supernatural, if that makes any sense. And Giles, no, Anthony, T- <laughs> Tony Stewart had, <laughs> he uh-huh. played a magician in that. Uh, he was in that series? Mm-hmm, in that series. Oh, okay. Interesting. I wonder if it was called Cezanne. That would be cool. So, this is our exposition dump scene. Like, this is, these are who our villains are. This is what they're trying to do. And then Xander (laughs) writes on his board, how do we kill them? Because I love at this point, they all have the boards. Uh, And then you have that great scene where Buffy shows Buffy, like, doing the motion of, like, staking. Yeah, it looks like (laughs) It looks like she's jerking off. But then she reaches in her bag and she pulls out her stake because because everyone's looking at her like, what? Like, they're so mortified that she's doing that gesture. And she's, like, reaching her back, pulls out a stake. And then she just looks so disgusted with everyone after the fact. Yeah. So and here's funny. Another, but the, the look that Giles gave her when she did it was so funny. Because he just held this very serious, like, pressed lips look at her like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, surely that cannot be what she means. <laughs> Um, Willow just had another great comedic moment and uh, the look on Jaw's face when he was like, I don't know. This. <laughs> he puts up this like the best part about this like presentation or like the child like narrations of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's this very elementary uh, sketch of Buffy and she looks at it and jumps and is like, points to her hips, like, oh, my hips. And that was actually improvised by Sarah, I read. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> that was a very thick drawing of her, though, for real. <laughs> I would have been insulted also. <laughs> so now we have Buffy is patrolling. With that crossbow. Turn that, that damn crossbow. You got one shot. And then... It's like kind of juxtaposed to Riley patrolling with his ray gun. <laughs> Science and sorcery. Mm-hmm. And so he gets to the clock tower and he sees shadows inside. And I'm like, how, how lit up from the inside is that clock tower to be able to see those big ass shadows from that far away? Okay. <laughs> okay. Also, though, like, first of all, the idea that. Um, Tara was able to go into some kind of school uh, school directory to find Willow's room number. I'm like, I hope Southern Miss didn't have anything like that. Oh I don't want other people knowing. Well, did they? I don't know. Surely not. 
So like Tara, oh, okay. So you can see that she has like there's a book with a pentacle on it. So like you can mm-hmm. tell that she has like magic stuff and she was looking for Willow so that she could try to find Willow to do a spell. She drops then, it on the sidewalk, and then behind her, you see the gentleman floating about towards her. She notices them, runs the hell out of there. <laughs> she is taken off. Um, In a pencil we, skirt, too. I'm like, yeah. girl, get it. <laughs> get it. Um, Buffy sees one floating over to a house, and then one of the henchmen hop up in front of her. There's a lot of, like, you see things happening in the background, and then in the foreground, something pops up. It's a lot of that in this Oh, yeah. Jump scares. Left Uh and right. All the jump scares. And you see someone, like, jump, because Willow, Tara is now in one of the dorm buildings, running down the hall, like, knocking on doors, trying to get someone to open. But I think at this point, people know, like, this is the last thing that happened before this dude's heart was cut out. Um, So... I know I wouldn't be opening a door in the middle Mm-mm. of the night. I'm sorry, Tara. <laughs> um, so we cut back to Buffy. She's kicking ass. She just snapped the neck and went to chase the other one. Um, and we cut over to Riley walking inside of the clock tower that was some house. And there's a henchman. Do we know what their names are? We know the the gentlemen, but do these ones have a name? They're henchmen? I I can't remember what they were referred to in the commentary, but I feel like he was saying henchmen. But he kept saying, like, the idea of them were to be the, uh... They were, like, the crazy people in the asylum uh, on uh, in Dracula, where Renfield was. Hmm. Ugh. So Tara's like beating on a door and a henchman opens the door with a heart in his hand. But she's uh, on she's on Willow's floor, but not she was at 219 and Willow is in 214. So Willow walks out the door, Tara runs in her and they fall down. Of course, Willow grabs her ankle because of course we're in a horror movie. Somebody has to twist their ankle. <laughs> uh, and they run out the door and hop away. Well, she's limping and Tara's running. They're holding each other, trying to get away. Cutting back and... Oh, my God. Here it is. So we cut back to the clock tower and Riley's in this big brawl with one of the henchmen. And then you get Buffy, like, jump in through the window. And at some point, they both end up, like, pointing their weapons at each other, realizing what's going on. Ugh. And now they're fighting together, helping each other. These henchmen are super aggressive. <laughs> I mean, if you were working for creepy folks that were floating around cutting out hearts, you try not to fail too, I guess. I guess. <laughs> what if those people are old victims? What if like henchmen victims turn into the I mean, gentlemen victims turn into henchmen? Oh. Oh, wait, so now Spike is back at Giles. Mm-hmm. And he pulls... <laughs> he, and, and Giles has kissed the librarian mug. He has, <laughs> he, has a, <laughs> he has a bunch of blood in it. So he's drinking his blood, and he has, like, fruit punch mouth from the blood. Like, the blood. It's like, it's like when you drink milk and you have it on your, like, it has your a mustache. mustache. Yeah. 
And so he see like <laughs> he kneels <laughs> down. He kneels down, and Anya is on the sofa taking a nap. And then Xander walks in, and Spike pops up, and he has blood on his lips, and it looks like he's been drinking Anya. So Xander flips out and, like, runs to Spike and just, like, tackles him and starts beating the shit out of him. And then in the process, Anya wakes up and, like, walks over like, what are you doing? <laughs> and Xander's super happy that she's alive. And rushes over and kisses her. <laughs> I think, I sort of wondered if this was one of the moments when Xander realized how much he cared for Anya. Of course, of course. I think there are so many things that they, like, things they come to realize because they can't talk. Mm-hmm. Like, their actions are showing their truths. Love and, that. And, and we saw, you know, earlier in the episode that she was concerned that he didn't he didn't have, like, genuine feelings for her. Oh, fun fact. This, um, so they're in the laundry room. Uh, Willow and Tara in the laundry room. They, they, they're running from the gentleman. And they show a vending machine that they try to push in front of the door, but they can't push it. This wow. vending machine is actually the same vending machine from Sunnydale High. Oh, that's fun. So you see Willow trying to move it, and she can. It's too heavy. And Tara looks at her and realizes what she's doing. And Tara, you see Tara like, trying hand, to move it with like, her mind. Yes. Sorry. And Tara, they take each other's hands and they look at each other, and it's such a like interesting moment because like I remember watching this episode going, "What's happening here?" But they just, like, both look at the drink machine, and it just moves. Like, butter slides over to the door. Mm-hmm. But what we'll go on later to see is that they, it's like they use casting spells as a reference for sex with Willow and Tara. Mm-hmm. Like, Willow's heavy pants, just, like, everything about them after they moved that just was, like, post-sex glow. Yeah, until they actually start doing it (laughs) we're back in the clock tower and there's some ass kicking happening yeah now they're at the top of the clock tower where the gentlemen are doing or their evil lair is set up (laughs) yes and so like the henchmen are holding buffy and one is getting close to her with the knife and then riley comes in with a win does a couple of blasts from his his gun and gives Buffy just enough time to start kicking ass. And so now and they're he's both helping, kicking ass. Yeah, he's helping out. You know, Buffy's she's doing Buffy, being <laughs> resourceful, using shit around her to take everybody out, and uh she's so good. And if you have like one of the gentlemen trying to get into the fight, he's like, I'm gonna sneak up and just kind of scap. Yes, like. I'm gonna get just like one little cut from the back, and he got—you can see blood on his scalpel. He got a slice. He did get her? That son of a bitch. Yes. So Buffy recognizes the box on the table. So you have a flashback to her dream, and she's like <laughs> pointing at Riley. And so at this point, the I music is building up yeah, yeah. because it is slow mo. Riley goes to like crush something on the table, <laughs> and he crushes the wrong thing. He doesn't even crush the box. And she's like, but he, the no. look he gives her is like. Did it? Like, did yeah. it? She's like, no, the box. Like she makes a little box motion. And then you see the voices released, and then she gets her voice back, and she instantly screams because she knows that's what's gonna take to destroy the gentleman yeah. and henchman. Always pay attention during the exposition dump. Yeah. 
Oh, but the way they die is so, like, awesomely gory because their heads explode and you get this green goo just, like, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, uh, it's so intense. I love it. And then Buffy and Riley exchange these looks. Uh, I do forget. I, I truly forgot how much I enjoyed Riley. And so we cut back over to the dorm and Tara's trying to explain to Willow that um, she was trying to find her to help her do a spell to get everyone's voice back and that she noticed each other in uh wicker group. And she, in her very sweet Tara way, tried to like talk shit, but couldn't do it. <laughs> and then she's like, I think um, if they saw another witch, a real witch, they run the other way. <sighs> and then she's explaining her origins a little bit with witchcraft. Like her mom used to be a witch and she had power. She said a lot like you. And then Will's like, oh, I'm not, I don't, I don't have much in the way of power. And she's like, really? I mean, most of my potions come out soup. <laughs> but, you know. It's just a sweet little we, conversation between Tara and Willow. Yeah. But we know, we already know that Willow is strong. Yeah. Like, not, not just from her casting that Will It So spell, but I mean, like, the fact that beginning in the, her first, like, trips into magic were, I'm going to bring Angel's soul back. Right. Yeah, and she's just being humble, obviously. Yeah. And so this is where um, we cut back over to Giles' apartment, and Olivia is like, oh, so all that stuff you were talking about is real, like magic and demons. I thought you were being pretentious. And he was like, well, no, some of it's true. It's, uh, it's an interest because I read this thing where they were um, like, Olivia was supposed to be like a magic detective in San Francisco or something like that. Like that was going to be her storyline. But like she just learned about magic and I don't think we see her again after this. Mm-mm. I think she had to tell that out of there. She's like, that's, that's too, too much for me. <laughs> in my mind. Well, that's going to be a spoiler for later seasons, but we'll talk about it when it happens. Love this this final scene in this episode where Riley goes to see Buffy in her dorm room and they sit down together and he's like, I guess we have to talk and and she she says, Yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> they both just look at each other very quietly, like for the longest. And they sit in silence. <laughs> Almost avoiding, like, looking at each other. Yeah. And, or, like, right up until the last frame, and then they kind of catch each other's yep. eye, and it fades to black. <sighs> so, hush. Oh, my God. Okay. Keenan, I have some fun trivia. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Ooh, I hope I'm good at these. I'm ready. Okay, how? Okay, I'm gonna ask you this. Wait, you are these me? like are these story like story and continuity based, or is it like outside of the show, like real life stuff? Uh, it's a little, little bit, bit of both. A little okay. bit of both. I'm not gonna um, do well in all of these. Let's well, go. I won't like I won't force you to like guess everything, but I am wondering like obviously there's not much dialogue in this episode. How how many minutes of dialogue do you think that this episode had? If you had to guess. Um, 
I do remember them saying there was like five minutes at the top and five at the end, but I don't know if that's going to count like the newscaster or the like the computer that Maggie was typing on or the elevator. You know what I mean? But I'm going to say 10 minutes just to give a a, a round number. I'm going to say 10 minutes. So altogether, it was only 17 minutes of actual dialogue. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was more than I thought there was. Yeah. I thought there would be a lot less. Um, okay. So in an article, here's a fun fact, in an art, a Business Insider article by Frank uh, Pelota, I think I'm saying his name right, maybe, hopefully, um, the gentlemen were portrayed by professional minds. Yes. I thought that was so interesting. I never knew that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you so read also, articles, I listened to the commentary and watched the featurette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I'm like, that would have probably been an even easier way to do it. But, um, and so also it's, and I've, I've we've said this before, but, uh, this episode was a big hit among both fans and critics mm-hmm, when it aired, mm-hmm. um, kind of like, uh, the musical episode. This was one of the episodes that I would like when people were like, Buffy's not a good show or blah, blah, blah. Or like when I was like, watch this. I was like, if you're going to watch an episode of Buffy, watch Hush and then get back with me. Okay, so another uh, fun fact is uh, this episode garnered the series only Emmy nomination for Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series. And I find that really hard to believe. I thought for sure they had at least a couple other Emmy nominations. Writing? For Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, according to, according to IMDb, uh, and I did not know this, this was interesting, maybe you knew it, but Amber Benson was originally passed over for the part of Tara. Did you know that? In the, from the commentary, yeah. He says, uh, was it Marty? Marty, it was either Jane Espenson or Marty Knoxon that convinced him to go with Tara because he was looking for somebody, I think that was on like a smaller frame because they were essentially looking for someone who would be like another like very meek willow and mm. whether it was either marty Knoxon or jane espenson whether they were like amber benson can do that she yeah. can do this and so he gave her the role and he was like he said but whenever she's in the room i always let her know that that was she got the job because of me don't let her listen to this <laughs> <laughs> asshole. Yeah. And he actually retooled the character to fit to fit her Amber Benson more, apparently. Also, and you already said this a little bit, but just to elaborate, the gentlemen were inspired by a nightmare that Joss Whedon had as a child, specifically one in which he was in bed and approached by a floating monster. Mm-hmm. I like, oh, I love it when like, you know, that kind of thing inspires actors art because I've had so many dreams like that that I could easily see turning into some sort of like fictional story um, yeah I love that yeah such a good episode I love it I love the uniqueness of it I love that they you know I think it was one of those things where uh I read that just um you know the show up to this point had was really known and heralded for its its use of quick wit dialogue and 
that's what the fans knew and loved it for. And so he had never done anything like this, Joss Whedon. And so he's, he just kind of tried it just to see if he could get away with it. And so he did it and it was a, a big success. So, yeah, he said, he said that he felt like he was becoming a hack and that people were like, the show's so good because like the dialogue and, and just like the way the show uses communication, just the way the characters communicate with each other. And so good. So he was like, I am going to dare myself to do an episode that is largely without dialogue or, you know, right. people having voices just to to make myself have to lean into more of that directing. So as we can see, they put out a fabulous piece of art. So good. Yes. Mm. So, you know, I was like, oh, I have I have so many questions about the 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 gentleman. It was like the one that I said earlier, like, what makes this heart different from this one? Because it seemed like they were very picky with the houses they went to. But when they saw Tara roaming around, they were like, oh, we're just gonna go after her. Well, it looked like they I don't know. It kind of looked like they were already headed in her direction whenever she spotted them. But I. Did I, why do I feel like it was something about fear? Like it was something about, there was something in, in, in their victims that possessed a certain level of fear that attracted them. Or am I, maybe I'm getting that mixed up with another episode or another TV show. <laughs> I just felt like there was something about the particular victim that was just like the fear in them drew them to them. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, that would, that would make sense if they were going after like people that were up and moving around like Mm. these people i can see them getting fear like energy from the fear in general just because like the that's some frightening shit (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you're not getting out of that but uh yeah so that there was that and then it was like so they need to collect seven for what what's gonna happen how okay? How many dif- how many different victims did they actually show them going after? Because we saw them going after the one guy and the the college student in the dorm. They show them getting anyone else. Can't so remember. after after that guy, when they cut over, there are three or four jars that have hearts in them. Mm-hmm. And I think by that last scene, when they were coming back in, they had all but one full. And that's when they were going for Tara. Well, I think Tara just so happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time because she was headed to Willows. So she mm. wasn't in her dorm. She was walking across campus. It, uh, uh, Joss equated it to the, the girl in the woods is what they looked at Tara as in this episode. Yeah, I'm like, what happens if they get all seven? I don't know. I'm wondering if it's like a listener out there has some insights that if you if you're listening and you... You have some insight about this. You maybe you've read something. Maybe you have a theory. Like write us and tell us. We'd love to like discuss it on air uh, on the podcast because I I feel like somebody has to have some sort of like solid theory on this um, or maybe know something about this. Yeah. Um, or did someone write this fairy tale and put it out so we know? Like I would love to read that fairy tale. Like a fan fiction. Yeah, like, like, well, I would prefer it to be a little bit more official, but I will be willing <laughs> to headcanon a fanfic. <laughs> I just want to know, I want to know if there's a specific process on how they select their victims, 
And if they collect all seven hearts, what happens? Like, does the town, like, do they get to keep everyone's voices? Oh, yeah, because I guess we never really got into that. Like, what happens? Yeah. I want to know. Hmm. Yeah. This is one of those things where I'm like, I kind of want to see what happens when the villain gets, <laughs> you know, gets what he wants. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, everyone, just start tweeting at Joss Whedon and say, we have questions about the gentleman and you need to give us answers. Yeah, you have plenty of time because we're in a pandemic. You ain't got nowhere else to be and <laughs> nothing better to do. So <laughs> and right now, <laughs> people don't really like you that much so give us something <laughs> okay so oh, the shade <laughs> okay so current tv king you know what you watching oh, these days so the boys is back i've been watching it i'm so jealous i love the first season and i i'm not able to watch the second season so i don't have access to well that. i won't i won't go into it but i do you know how there are some characters on shows that you're just like, I can't wait until you get yours. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I, there's one. And we're not talking about Homelander, because we all know Homelander is a douchebag. Um, and he doesn't get any better this season. He's still a, a horrible asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's another character that is... You don't, you don't have to say anything else, because I... I am, I suspect who it might be. I'm kind of, I have someone in mind who I hope it is because I really want to see them get it. But uh, also, it's been so long since I saw the I first will season. say this it's a new character. Oh, okay. Well, it's not who I thought. No, it's a new character. Um, there are so many, oh, God. I'm, and because they didn't, they're doing this like episode per week model, I'm like, hurry up and give me this new episode because I just, I need to know what's going to happen. They dropped three when it like aired and then they're, they're going to like the episode a week thing. Yeah, I know. Absolute torture. I'm still, I'm still watching uh, static shock and those are just like an episode before bed or something like that. Or if I'm doing laundry or whatever, like static shock will be on, which I'm really loving it. I hate that I didn't watch it when it was airing originally, because it, it's it's so good. And Pen15 released season two, and it's so funny. It's so good, and it's, it's... If you didn't watch the first season, these girls are like, they're portraying themselves as 13, but there are adults playing the role of 13, 14-year-olds. So in the first season, one of the characters, like, she gets her period, but she's been lying. I didn't realize it, but she had been lying to the other character, her friend character, that she had her period. And I'm just like, I want, I just want someone to have a conversation with me about, like, the shame around getting your period. Because it's so upsetting to me that that's something that people are made to feel ashamed about. Oh, You know, I'm like, somebody talk to me about that. I because. Even to this day, like, if a woman brings up their period, they're like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, I have a mother and a sister. I'm an adult. I know that that it's a thing. It's like, a natural I, It's yeah, a natural part I, of being I a human. So, like, 
I feel like as a man, I'll probably get roasted <laughs> for saying it. But like, I'm just like, I want to, I just don't want people to feel like embarrassed about their natural, like their body. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so, but like Pen15 touches on that and just like these like female characters going through puberty and just like going through high school and they continue the show with these characters going through high school. I don't know if their characters would still be friends because right now you can kind of see them going different ways. Well, I I have bookmarked it and added it to my list because I watched the trailer for it it over the weekend and I was like, oh, this looks very entertaining. I will be checking this out in the coming weeks. There's specifically, Jonah, an episode about a thong that I think you're going to die. Like, it's going to, you're going to die. The entire episode, you're just going to laugh. And I, <laughs> I want you to, the moment it starts, I want you to say, Keenan, I think this is the episode you're talking about. And then when it's over, I want to know how, what you thought about it. <laughs> All right. I will be watching <laughs> for it. Um, and of course, like, Lovecraft Country is still fucking amazing. Yeah, it is so good. I'm living for it week after week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very interesting. I love. I'm like, give me more. Yes, yes, yes. I tweeted something uh, like a week ago, and I was like, while 2020 has continued to be a dumpster fire, uh, just remember that we have Journey Smollett Bell like out here giving us a black black canary that was so good. If you've not seen Harley Quinn, like she was. So so good and and Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey and then she's Letitia Lewis Mm -hmm. which I've noticed that she's dropped the bell from her name she's just Journey Smollett now on like the show's credits and I think even on her Twitter I'm like uh did I miss something Mm. she's still googling that later Hmm. google that Jonah, what are you watching? So, uh, a couple of interesting, like, new um, new TV shows that I've um, I've dived into in the past couple of weeks. So, one, I watched the docu-series I'll Be Gone in the Dark, mm. uh, which is, if we have any murderinos out there um, who have been a fan of the My Favorite Murder podcast, which is a, a podcast that Keenan and I actually, like, another one of those things we bonded over in the beginning of our friendship um, we follow closely and love. Uh, they talked about, like, I think the golden, like, on that podcast is when I learned about the Golden State Killer for the first time. Mm-hmm. And and they they were friends with the author of this book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, Michelle McNamara, who is also the wife of comedian actor Patton Oswalt and so um this docuseries is based on that book and that story of the East Area Rapist and and slash the original Night Stalker slash the Golden State Killer um and so um it just basically follows it's almost like they they took they use the book to sort of narrate this docuseries, mm-hmm. uh, and it focuses a lot on um, not just the story of this killer and their victims, because they have a lot of really uh, interesting but emotionally heavy like interviews with um, uh, the survivors of uh, this um, 
when he was the East area rapist, the ones who survived him then, and then like family members of the victims of, of who he murdered. And so uh, you have that and you have like uh, interviews with people that Michelle McNamara worked with. And you have like interviews with Michelle McNamara when she was still alive because she did end up passing away before the book was actually published and before they actually found uh, the killer. And so it's just all of that. And it's done so beautifully it's it is it is one of my top like probably three favorite documentaries or docuseries mm. of all time i can say that without a doubt i love it so much to the point that i've never really ever want to go back and rewatch a docuseries because it's one of those things where i'm like oh no i've i've absorbed it i've gotten the information i need from it. i don't i don't need to go back and rewatch it like it's a regular kind of TV series. But this is so well done and so fascinating. And the writing is so good in this book that not only do I want to go back and watch the docuseries again, but I also downloaded the audiobook and I plan on getting the hard copy as well. Cause I want to, I want this book in every form possible. And I've already started listening to the book and it's so good. The writing is very good. Um, so I, I encourage anyone who's a true crime um, lover to to really look into to I'll Be Going in the Dark, the docuseries and the book. Um, it is just it's just really good writing. It's really good. Um, it, she humanizes these, you know, a lot of times in these kinds of stories, the, the killer gets a lot of the spotlight. But I think she does a great job of really humanizing and spotlighting the ones he left behind in his, in the aftermath of his terror mm. um, and, and humanizing his victims and the survivors of those, those assaults. And um, it just, I just love it from a storytelling point of view and also from like a human point of view, but um, there's that. So that's the heavier <laughs> kind of content I was, I watched and I binged all of that. It's a very brief series. It's only like um, maybe, five or six episodes so it's really it's really easy to digest in that regard but i also started watching a sort of like 20 or 30 minute um like hbo it's an old hbo um dramedy i guess you could call it called looking have you ever yes, seen that yes yes jonathan jonathan groff mm-hmm. who who played Kristoff and frozen and also who plays um Oh God, he is. He was on Glee too. He was on Glee. He was in Hamilton and Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. I watched was, him on Mindhunter, and he he's extraordinary in that. He was also in the play Spring Awakening. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the music from that show was really good. That show was good. Uh, the guy that plays. How far are you into that show? I'm only like maybe three or four episodes. There's a guy that he works. I think he plays his boss. He's a British guy. His yeah. name is Russell Tovey. I've I seen him in other things. Love I love to... that man. He is beautiful, and he is actually he is gay in real life. So is Jonathan Groff. Oh, that I knew. So that's that's what I that's one of the things I like. I think they're using like I don't know if all the actors on this show are gay, but at least two that I that we know of now like are, and I I really like that. Um, and it's so relatable. I, I relate so much to Jonathan Groff's character Patrick Murray. I think is his name. Um, he reminds me of me as I tried to navigate the the 
gay dating life as a um a baby gay as they call it in the community <laughs> um because mm-hmm. he ends up he kind of he he doesn't quite know what he wants in the beginning and he's trying to figure out what he likes and what he doesn't like and you know um and he has like these certain views that are very much uh constructed based on what other people in his life like want for him like he there's a moment where he's talking about like his parents and how he they talk about him having bottom shame like yeah. because of his like parents like maybe the idea that his, his parents i think a question is posed to him by a suitor of his that um it like is it because are you ashamed of bottoming because you think their parents would be embarrassed or ashamed of you if you if they knew that you were getting it up the ass and and he was like mm. and then he kind of had to admit like yeah i guess maybe a little bit i'm like oh that's interesting so it's very relatable i think it's like a little journey that a lot of um gay gay people and and gay men particularly experience so um i'm enjoying that i'll have to go back and rewatch it i think with like the exception of john at some point in time jonathan groff's character has like a latinx boyfriend Mm -hmm. uh the show in itself i remember being very white Uh, (laughs) yeah so far that seems to be the case so, but the premise of the show to me was always like a, a, a for the times Queer as Folk, which was also a very white gay show. Have you ever seen Queer as Folk? Uh, not in full, no. Only I've seen only like, like clips here and there. Um, it's 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 a good show. I I liked it. I mean, as I was probably in high school when it was airing. And then watch more of it in, like, my early, early 20s. Like, being able to watch it all the way through. But, it, you know, it definitely, as a, a gay in Mississippi, it had a black gay in Mississippi. It show had no representation of my life <laughs> whatsoever. And one of the characters was allegedly, like, his character was from Hazelhurst, Mississippi. On oh. Queer's Fault. Yeah. On oh, Queer's yeah. Fault, one of the characters. You told Hazel- me that once, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, I, there is a, a, a very, like, from what it has always been explained to me, it's like a, a Queer as Folk kind of show, but it's like a, a Black-centric show called Noah's Ark, but I've not been able to find the first season of that show, and they have the second season at, on DVD at the Spectrum Center, which I was like, oh, I can always just, like, watch the second season when I've seen the first one, but I've not been able to find the first season, so mm. I gotta look for that. So it's in its older. It's probably from the mid two thousands. All right. Look so. at the look at the two thousands serving up the the gay <laughs> TV content. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which I'm I'm interested to see. You know, if there were conversations about bottoming there, because I think even in the the gay community, it has it is really a very recent thing. Where like bottoms are claiming their power. That's a whole other conversation, probably for a different podcast, or at least with more <laughs> wine. Yeah, we could have a whole conversation about that because uh, misogyny okay. exists everywhere yeah. and it's fucked up. Yes. Okay. All over every corner of the society. So, how about those socials, Keenan? 
Okie doke. Well, you can all follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the KT Walker. If you're interested in photography, you can also uh, follow my other Instagram accounts that you can find linked in the KT Walker bio. Yeah. Jonah, what about you? Where can they find you? So you find me on Instagram at Adventures of Jonah or on Twitter at Quirky Writer Guy. And if you're over on TikTok and you just like to see content with with puppies and and poetry and random political commentary, then uh, you can check me out at uh, JS Taylor Writes there. Podcast socials. If, if you want to tweet at us, you can do so at the rewind underscore pod and you can also check out our website or you can access um previous episodes of our podcast uh and also find us from there through uh on your other podcast um platforms at anchor.fm backslash rewind dash podcast or you could just shoot us an email at the rewind podcast one at gmail.com uh, someone took the Rewind Podcast. They are not using the Rewind Podcast actively on anything. If you own it, let it go so we can have it. That is all. <laughs> <laughs> and with that said, be kind. And please rewind. Goodbye. Goodbye. Just be kind and listen to the rewind.